Hello and welcome to According to John. Today, I think we have a great lesson in scripture, if you will. We're going to talk about the nine ways that Satan opposes the believer. I am your host, John Westfall, and you are listening to According to John. And thank you so much for tuning in and allowing me to be a part of your life to share scripture with you and help you have success in your days ahead and in your walk in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get into this. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray that it would just speak to our hearts, move us, Father, and encourage us to be aware of the devil, Lord, that he is after us. Satan is that roaring lion looking to devour. Father, I just pray that as we see your word, that it equips us to be more successful in our walk. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're going to talk about uh, nine ways Satan opposes the believer. And as I was looking through this, you know, he is cunning. Man, what a deceitful, conniving snake he is, man. I'm waiting for Michael to hold him down so I could kick him. I'll be honest with you. So Satan opposes the believer in many ways. And, and of course, some are subtle, you know, and we they're indirect. And then some are just in our face and very obvious. But the nine ways, and I hope you take notes in this, or if not, remember, you can go back and listen to it anytime. And if you would share, uh, according to John podcast with others, I would greatly appreciate that as we try to grow the podcast and grow Christians. Amen. First, the first way that Satan attempts or opposes the believer is he attempts to attack God's character and credibility. Just as he did with Adam and Eve. Remember when he said to Adam and Eve, has God said, did God really say that? And then they start questioning and doubting. And Satan's objective is to make us distrust God. Let's look here in Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And then we see in verse five, Satan says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, Satan didn't lie in his statement, but he was deceptive in tripping up Eve. And Eve thought, hey, if I eat of this tree, I will be like God. Boy, don't we want to be like God? And so she partakes and he trips her up because prior to that, God had said, told Adam, don't eat of that tree and told Adam to tell Eve or were led to believe that. And obviously Adam had said something, but Eve still uh, was deceived by Satan, tripped up. Why? She did not trust God. And if we can convince people that God is untrustworthy, they will deny God's word. We find that in 1 John 5.10. It says, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And so literally, when we as Christians start doubting the word of God, well, then I'd have to doubt you are a Christian, but we literally make God a liar when we deny the word of God. We see that in today's 
culture uh, with with all the genders, right, and all the things that we're doing. And, and you have a guy who wants to be a woman, and you, you have uh, the transgenderism, that transgender dysphoria, all the junk that's going on. And there are Christians, and I'm going to use that term loosely, Christians that are supporting it. I really don't know how they can uh, without denying the word of God. So when we as believers doubt God's goodness, love, power, grace, mercy, sufficiency, ultimately what we're doing is we are joining Satan in attacking God's truthfulness. So we have to be very cautious of how we walk, who we talk to, what we say when we speak to people that we do not create doubt because if we doubt, James says we're like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro. And so we must be very careful. When a believer becomes anxious, despondent, depressed, hopeless, that's when we join Satan in attacking God's trustworthiness. We are saying God is not enough. And, you know, the world looks at this. The world sees that. And it's a constant weakening of your walk when you create that atmosphere or that energy with other people that God is not trustworthy. And I'm not saying that we don't need medicine. What I'm saying is, man, if you are always depressed, always struggling, you're not depending upon God and Satan will use that as a tool to just beat you down even more. And it just becomes difficult for you to convince someone else that you can trust God when you're not trusting God. I mean, you know, it's kind of, it goes hand in hand. All right. So the second Satan tries to undermine victory by tempting us to forsake obedience. And that obedience is to God's standard or to God's calling on our life. And when we're not obedient, we undermine God, we undermine the word of God and Satan's most extreme tactic always is persecution, right? If we look throughout the history of the church, uh, believers since the beginning, if you go back to the book of Acts, believers have had to pay for their faith uh, with their uh, reputation, their freedom, their jobs, their families, and sometimes their lives. We have seen that. And today we are still seeing it. And I think when persecution comes real heavy and real hard, what we hear from the Christian is, oh, well, I can't speak about Jesus. I'll lose my job. Oh, I can't do that. My friends won't like me. Oh, I can't do that because it'll cost me this, or I can't do that because what will people think? And, and next thing you know, we are fearful of that persecution, and it literally gives Satan the victory right? Because then we start becoming disobedient. And so perhaps the devil's most common and effective persecution, I would say is peer pressure. What will they think of me? Or you're the only Christian in the group. And so you talk about Jesus and everybody starts mocking you and laughing at you. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I was just kidding. Peer pressure takes us down all the time if we're not careful and the fear of criticism and the desire to be accepted, right? Because everybody wants to be a part of the group. I mean, let's be honest. 
Nobody wants to be the outcast. Nobody wants to be the one pushed aside. We want to, we want to be popular. I mean, man, did we get, Hey, did we get a click? Did we get a like, did we get another follower? Did we, I mean, we want to be popular in that peer pressure and loving Jesus doesn't always make us popular. And so that'll lead us to compromise the word of God. And then we lose our credibility. Our testimony starts going downhill and we lose literally. Satan may even reverse his approach by making things easy. Oh my goodness. Right. America has had it easy. And I think that's why the American church is so weak. I mean, we are really weak. We can't believe that God is a judging God. Oh, he's a loving God. We can't believe that God doesn't love the entire world and accepts them just the way they are because God's not a judgmental God. He's a loving God. The wrath of God isn't coming. He's a loving God. And so what do we see? The American church, well, truth be told, they're full of wimps, just absolute wimps. And it is so frustrating that people will live in fear of man, but not fear of God. We have a problem. And so Satan, sometimes instead of persecution, he'll come in and there's no hardships. Everything's easy. And boy, when it gets easy, we don't depend on the Lord. I mean, what do we need God for? I'm doing it myself and it's working. Why do I need to tithe? I keep getting raises. Why do I need to give? I've got it all. Why do I need to... And all of a sudden, it's all about us and look what we have done. Look what I have done. And we don't need to depend on God. So Satan will get us through persecution. He'll get us when life is real easy. And again, I think that's what he's done to America or the American church. And the easiest circumstances are often the hardest ones in which to be faithful. Third, Satan attacks believers through doctrinal confusion and falsehood. As a pastor, man, I run up against this all the time. People will come in. They've not been taught the word of God. They've uh, churches uh, because it's easy believism and because it's social gospel and everybody's got to feel good and don't threaten me and don't judge me. And God loves me just the way I am. And I don't need to change. And he created me this way and they don't read the scriptures. And so Christians who are untaught in God's word becomes easy prey. Oh my goodness. We become easy prey. When I say easy prey, I'm talking like, like going hunting and your prey that you're hunting is a caged animal. And so you just walk up to the cage and, and shoot it. I mean, that's literally what we are to Satan when Satan has kept the Christian from learning the word of God. And I see it all the time, man. Christians are like, well, I thought the Bible said, well, you need to read your Bible. Why well, don't read? There's the problem. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, my goodness, if you would read, if you would learn, if you would study. And what we have is we have a, we have a world of televangelists 
that will never hurt your feelings. They're going to make you feel wonderful so you can have your best life now and you can send them money. And you send them money believing a lie and you just paid Satan to condemn you to hell. I mean, that's literally what it's like. Or how about this? We got to make the word of God so easy because let's face it. People are busy today. We don't have time to study it out. And so we make it easy like it doesn't need to be studied or like you, as long as you know God loves you, that's all that matters. And it's way deeper than that. The believer who is confused about God's word cannot be effective in God's work. You can't because you can't tell the truth. You can't speak the scriptures, which is God's word, which is truth. Ephesians 4.14 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But yet, that is our culture today. That is the churches of America today. We, we are those that are tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Well, that sounds good. I like that. Yeah, I'll adopt that. And I see it all the time. People, I'll give them the word of God. They go, well, I don't believe that. And I go, what do you believe? And they'll tell me some crazy mess. And I'm like, where did you get that? Well, that's just what I believe. Have you ever been wrong? <laughs> You're wrong here. And look at this. By the trickery of men. In the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. The enemy continually tries to convince people the Bible is antiquated and difficult to understand. And so people are like, ah, I can't get into that. I can't understand it. And I don't read, remember? (laughs) And then what happens is they become willing sheep for the false shepherds. And those shepherds lead them to their death. Satan is so good at that. Fourth, Satan attacks God's people by hindering their service to him. As a pastor, it is so difficult sometimes to get people to serve God or to serve anyone as far as that goes. We see constantly, and it's been this way for years and years and years and years, 10% do 90% of the work, 100% of the time so frustrating and so if satan can get you to not do work to serve god and do to do that which god has called you to do he wins he opposes every faithful life and every effective ministry first corinthians 16 9 look at this for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries this is paul talking to the corinthian church and how he's like listen there man there's great doors great opportunities but satan or many adversaries right are going against him look here in second corinthians 12 7 And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. You know, the messenger of Satan to constantly buffet and try to hinder and hold back Paul. Look here in 1 Thessalonians 
2.18. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us time and again. And if Satan's going to hinder Paul, Satan's going to hinder us, and we must be faithful. We have to stay in the pocket, if you will. And if you come to church, you know, people, we say we stay after church for an event or whatever. And I love when people, no, I can't make it. I can't stay. What are you going to do? I'm just going home, sit on the couch, watch Netflix, get on Facebook, stick my face in the phone. Satan is so good at getting people to not serve their God. Or maybe he is good at getting them to serve their God. Hmm. Fifth, Satan attacks believers by causing divisions. <laughs> it's not even funny, but I think sometimes if I don't laugh, I'm going to cry. How Christians will literally attack and backbite and everything else was one another or gossip and destroy one another. Or how about this? We are so quick as Christians to forgive the world, but would consume our own. It, it doesn't even make sense. Jesus prayed because he understood the importance of unity and he understood that Satan was going to try to divide in John 17, 11, Jesus prayed this. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. These are in the world. The, he's talking about the apostles, the disciples. And he says, these are in the world. Keep them as one, keep the unity because if there's no unity within the body of Christ, what in the world would the world have to do with us? John 17, 21 through 23, Jesus goes on to pray that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. He's given us that example of how we should be, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you see the importance of the Christians becoming one and having unity with one another so that if we understand the word of God and we quit walking away from God and quit doing the things of the world, that they see that we are unified and we are a family, a loving family. They, the world would want to be a part of what we have. But instead... I think we're just the opposite. And so he goes on in verse 22. It says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me. Church, Christian, man, we got to get this mess together. We got to quit fighting one another. Satan is clearly winning, I believe, on the, on the battle of division. The Corinthian church cl clearly shows us its divisiveness. Look here in 1 Corinthians 1, 3, it says this, Paul, 
called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place called on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And then he goes on, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding them, called to be saints, with all who in every place called on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And he goes on, and he talks about the testimony, and he talks about how important it is to be blameless because they were fighting. Paul told the Ephesian believers, the church of Ephesus, in Ephesians 4.3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. One body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now that one baptism is the scriptural baptism, which is full immersion, and it only happens after salvation. Just throwing that little nugget in there. And then he goes on, he says, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We are to be one And so Paul was pushing and encouraging them to endeavor to keep that unity. It was so crucial. The enemy knows God cannot work effectively through or in a body of believers who will not work together and who will not work with each other. The enemy knows that. Boy, listen, divided we fall, right? Enemies Uh, uh, goal all the time is to divide and conquer, divide and conquer. Satan does that so well. All right, let's look at the sixth way that Satan opposes believers. Satan attacks believers by persuading them to trust their own resources. God can do more in a blink of an eye than what we can do in a lifetime. And yet we will trust in our own resources. We will trust in our own selves and our own abilities and our own powers. And Satan's like, man, if I can keep you depending on you, you won't depend on God. You'll work yourself into the dirt and God doesn't get the glory and we don't get strengthened and believers aren't going to share the gospel and non-believers are never going to believe. And oh my goodness, it just goes on and on. It's like a rat race. It's a human hamster wheel that we get on. And to attempt to do the Lord's work in our own power is not to do his work at all. David, man, I, I love this in David. You know, instead of relying on the Lord, David decides that he's going to count his own resources in terms of soldiers. And so in First Chronicles 21, 1 through 8, David's going to count up his soldiers to make sure he can go into war and make sure he can do battle after he was told not to do it. Look here in 21, 1 of First Chronicles. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Satan stood up against Israel and moved David, God's man, to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. 
in verse 3, it says, And Joab answered, May the Lord, Yahweh, Lord is all caps, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, and Lord lowercase, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? And so here you have Joab being the godly man telling David, don't do this. Don't go against God. Nevertheless, in verse 4, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. And Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable. I'll get that one out. To Joab. And then we get to seven. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. See, God told him what to do, and instead of relying on God and depending on God and trusting God and knowing God has it, David takes it upon himself to count his own resources. And he was warned. It wasn't like God didn't give him someone to snap him out of it. He was just depending upon himself. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, it's easy for believers to rely on their own knowledge of God and, uh, or their own knowledge instead of a God's word. And when we rely on our own knowledge instead of the one who gives us the word and makes it effective, we have problems. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know, Ephesus, after a few years of depending on themselves, they became very cold, very mechanical, and of course, they had issues. David, not trusting God, took it upon himself to count his own resources in terms of the soldiers, and he was warned. And God was displeased, and he, of course, David pays the price, and then afterwards, he's like, oh, Lord, forgive me, and we do the same thing, right? We, we know, we know it's wrong before we ever do it, but we're hoping that God's going to extend grace and mercy in our stupidity. It, we see, boy, do we ever struggle to learn and hold on to those truths. All right, number seven, Satan attacks believers by leading them into hypocrisy, MacArthur said this, one of his greatest successes throughout the history of the church is that of populating the church with religious unbelievers and with real believers who live disobedient lives. And what he's talking about is one of Satan's greatest successes throughout history of the church is populating the church with unbelievers and with real believers who live disobedient lives. The truth is there's no difference between the two in the world's eyes. He goes on to say, the believer who is more concerned about his outward reputation than his inward spirituality does the devil's work, not the Lord's. 
To be satisfied with covering our sins and spiritual weaknesses with a mask of piety rather than bringing them to the Lord for cleansing and strengthening is to play Satan's game. Isn't that what we do? Instead of going to the altar and repenting of our sins and instead of going to the altar and relinquishing, what do we do? We join with the world, right? We join with the world and then we are the hypocrite. And hypocrisy runs deep. Number eight, Satan attacks believers by leading them into worldliness. By literally squeezing them into the mold of the world, right? Man, I'm telling you, to look like the world, that's what people do. That's what we want to do because if we look like the world, well, then more of them will come to the church. If we look like the world, then we'll be accepted and they won't think that Christianity is bad. And if we talk like the world, there's no fear of Christianese. Boy, we can't have someone think that we're Christian because of the way we talk. Oh, my goodness. Romans 12, 2 says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to the world. Man, Satan has, you, you can't tell who the Christian is and who isn't the Christian anymore. I'm reminded of a lady that was on a bowling team and she had gotten saved and she announced to her bowling team the next week when they were bowling, she was like, hey, I just accepted Christ as my savior last week and now I'm a Christian. And a lady that she had been bowling with for five years said, oh, wow, I'm a Christian too. To which the lady responded, I never knew. After five years of bowling on the same team, I never knew. That Satan, man, he plays that game so well. And man, some people just jump right in, right? I was told I would never grow a church. And I asked why. And the lady said, well, Pastor John, you are too black and white. You need to be gray. The world is gray, and the world's looking for gray because that's softer, and you need to be softer. You need to be more gray. And, yeah, I'm not going to be gray. Jesus wasn't gray. The Word of God's not gray. God is really clear about sin. And God is clear about how we should handle sin and how we should live and how we should walk and how we should talk. And, you know, come to think about it, yeah, the Bible's pretty black and white. <laughs> oh, my goodness, guys, my sarcasm seems to come through sometimes. At any rate, forgive me, let's move on. You know, in times of prosperity, Satan finds it particularly easy to lead God's people into materialism, into self-satisfaction, self-indulgence, and contentedness. And we see it today. As a matter of fact, they get all of that from the world because that's what the world has to offer. And they're like the rich man that Jesus told to go sell all you have and follow me. And they're like, oh, wait a minute, I got... 
I got a lot of possessions. I can't do that. And the Christian literally has become the world and we can't see the difference anymore. And it's one of the saddest things I think ever when you lose your identity. We must remember the warning of John. In 1 John 2, 15 and 16, it says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And boy, when we get caught up into that, guys, we're no different than Satan himself. The ninth and the final thing of how Satan opposes the Christian, this encompasses all the others, if we're just going to be honest. Satan attacks believers by leading them to disobey God's word. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Not conforming to the word of God is disobedience. Not doing the things which the word of God tells us to do is disobedience. I listed a few here that I think really covers it. God wants us to act faithfully. The enemy encourages us to act unfaithfully. God wants us to live morally. The enemy solicits us to live immorally. God wants us to speak truth. The enemy tempts us to lie. God wants us to love. The enemy tempts us to hate. And then the enemy tries to convince the world and the Christian that if we don't stand for the world and support the world, that we're full of hate. The enemy, I'm telling you, he is wicked and cunning and smart and relentless. God wants us to be content with what we have, and the enemy tempts us to covet everything else. God wants us to live by faith. The enemy tempts us to live by sight. Let me say this. On our own, we will fall. And God knows that. And so he gives us the armor that we need to fight the devil. In Ephesians 6.13, it says this. Therefore, therefore, right? Therefore what? Because without God's strength, without God's equipment, if you will, without the armor of God, and we go on ourselves and we follow these nine ways that Satan pulls us into the world, we're going to fall. And so Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, and in verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand, stand. Satan will oppose you. Satan will oppose me. And we do not have a chance if we do not stand with God in the protection of God, wearing the full armor of God. Partial armor is not enough. It's really not. He'll take you down. He'll devour you. He will kick your butt. Make no mistake about it. And we can't know exactly when 
Satan's going to attack. And that's why we have the whole armor on us. Because that's going to protect us when we're least expecting an attack and a fiery dart hits us. We have the shield of faith that will uh, extinguish that dart. When we didn't even see it coming, we have armor that will block it when we didn't see it coming. That's what happens when we're walking in the grace of God and we're walking in the diligence of what God says. And so therefore, we need to have on all of God's armor all of the time. Hey guys, I hope that this podcast has helped you. I hope it's given you some understanding in how Satan attacks. It, it doesn't change. It never changes. He is always going to attack us the same way that he always attacks us. And he'll be relentless with it. And we have to be diligent to stand fully armored in the word of God with God at all times. Hey guys, if this has helped, please like share, subscribe and follow. And until next time, God bless.